I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi everyone, my name's uh, Thomas Buff. I'm the editor of wolvesblog.com. Unsurprisingly, I'm a supporter of Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, You can find us at wolvesblog.com or on Twitter at wolvesblog. Uh, my name's Sam Cox. I'm a Fresh Saints contributor, and uh, you can find us uh, on Twitter at Fresh Saints and FreshSaints.com. Awesome. Thanks to you both so much for joining us today. Uh, we'll start off with uh, the transfer window, which of course ended on Thursday. So just curious to get your guys' initial thoughts on who do you think the biggest winner and the biggest loser was of the winter transfer window? Yeah, I mean, just like I said to you, mentioned off air a second ago, Kev, I think the the biggest winner was the Premier League in general because it was just indicative of clubs looking for more value these days and not just spending silly money for the sake of appeasing a couple of fans and, and, you know, rolling the dice to maybe make their team better. Um, I think the the downturn in business is generally a positive thing. because I think we clubs should be more considered and should be more responsible for what they're doing. I know that's boring. Um, you know, some people like the uh, all the fun and games on the transfer deadline day, but um, I do think generally the the Premier League was the winner. Um, you know, if if I was going to pick a loser, you know, kind of contradicting what I'm saying, some clubs who probably could have done with with getting some players in. I think you're always looking at the bottom clubs, um, and I probably pick Fulham. I think they wanted to do some business, um, which sounds bananas, really, when you consider the influx of players they yeah. had coming in over the summer. But you just felt they needed something. They need they need to do something with that defence. Um, Ranieri said himself, I think, that they, they lacked leadership in that squad. Um, I, th- I thought Gary Cahill may go there on a loan to the end of the season from Chelsea to get some games. Seemed like an obvious transfer. And he would be the kind of character that might lift them a bit, um, but but yeah, that that didn't really happen. So you know, I fear for Fulham now. I think Huddersfield have gone already, but I think Fulham are sort of teetering on that edge. I know they had a good result against Brighton, but you know, I'm just looking at that squad and, I, and the result they had yesterday and the mistakes they make at the back to gift goals to other teams. I just think that that could be their um, Achilles heel. Um, so yeah, so I'd say Premier League the big winner and, and possibly Fulham the the biggest loser. Um, if I, I was, um, I'd probably second that with with the Premier League being the biggest winner. But if I, if I'm going to pick a team, I'd I'd like to look at Bournemouth's uh, Bournemouth's uh, window. They brought in uh, Dominic Solanke from Liverpool, Nathaniel Klein, and, and Chris Mepham. Uh, Mepham. Uh, players have been on their radar for a long time and definitely fits the mould of, of of Bournemouth and they're, they're able to get rid of some dead wood as well and Jermaine Defoe get him off, 
off the uh, off the wages and, and Mark Pugh as well. Uh, a good servant for the club, but his time at the club was at the end and he's gone on loan to Hull. In terms of losers, um, you know, as you said then, you're looking at the bottom of the table because they're the clubs that, that need to, to do business more than anyone else. But I, 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 I would probably say Huddersfield Town. Um, they really needed... Uh, they they needed some 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 players in to give them a lift. They needed a, an attacking player because they've been short for goals all season, um, and they and they only brought in uh, Jason Punchin on loan. Who, from my perspective, when he played for Southampton was was a good player, but he's 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 aged now. He couldn't get a game at, at Palace and other sides who are sort of down the bottom of the Premier League. And I'm not sure he's the type of player that that would take them. Uh, away from relegation, uh, relegation troubles, and, the, and then they only brought in a couple of youngsters in, in Grant from Charlton and, and Brown from Tottenham, um, and and now as you say, Huddersfield uh, look all but down. Um, they they've changed their manager. Their the, the window wasn't inspiring for the fans, and I just think in terms of a biggest loser, I, I think Huddersfield were the team who needed to do the most business. Um, and and they just didn't bring in any any real quality. Mm. Don't you think just as a comeback on that, Sam? Don't you think that maybe their chairman was looking at it and thinking, actually, we're too far gone. You know, there's no real point spending twenty million on someone. It's just going to cause us headaches. Even if he does brilliantly, the deficit between them to to seventeen. You think maybe actually it's better just keeping their powder dry and just going, we've, yeah, we've got yeah. basically, and maybe, you know, punching and, and the, the lad they signed from Charlton, maybe that's one eye on the championship next season, thinking, you know, we, we want to have a strong squad ready to come try and make an instant return. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think they I think their chairman has definitely got one eye on the on the championship next season. And, and as you say, the, the guy from Charlton and the youngster from, from Spurs, um, yeah, I think I think you're spot on with that. I think there's sometimes in in windows where you look at the teams near the bottom and you think they should invest in in the championship or, or younger teams just in case they just in case they go down. But um, yeah, the, the the fact they also they they part of company with Wagner and brought in another a, a a young coach from from Dortmund's second team. I know they got Wagner some, from there as well. But I think they're spot on. Yeah, I think they definitely they've done as you say the polar opposite to. To Fulham, Fulham looked to be active in this window to to stay in the division, whereas Huddersfield have almost resigned themselves to the fact that they're more than likely being playing Championship football next season. Yeah, uh, for me, I, I do agree um, with your initial assessment that, that Huddersfield did the worst, uh, and part of it is naively from the fan side up that I've seen multiple Huddersfield uh, fans uh, on different uh, platforms, whether it be social media or, or, or like live blogs and stuff like that, who all seem just so disillusioned with their Premier League stay at the moment that they're actually like asking to be back in the championship and looking forward to being back in the championship. And I think any time a fan base's needle pushes that way, that's a failure on the ownership. That there wasn't, like even if you know you're going down and you don't want to invest too heavily, surely you bring in at least someone that the fans can get excited about. Because um, yes, they did bring in cheap players that maybe helped them in the championship, but maybe maybe you bring in up somebody else that that can help in that point, like uh, Cardiff bringing in Bakuna. Like that's also a championship signing that that will stabilize them when they go back down. But the fact that Huddersfield didn't do any of that uh, is one of the reasons that I gave them one of the worst grades. Um, well, what I will say is uh, two of the best grades I gave this window uh, to on our full transfer show that'll come out later this week. 
uh, were Manchester United and then uh, your own Wolves there, uh, Thomas, and neither of them made an incoming, uh, but both of them tied up players long-term. Uh, so we'll start with um, your signing of Johnny. Uh, how just important is that for Wolves going through uh, long-term? Yeah, good acquisition. Um, you know, it, I, I doubt there seems to be some debate over whether it's our club record signing because we spent $18 million on Adama Troyore in the summer and the BBC and local media sort of had Johnny either at fifteen million or eighteen million, so it could be a could be a record signing. But yeah, to get a player who was he never played for Atletico Madrid, you know, they only bought him in the summer, which is just how crazy transfers are these days. That they bought a player immediately, loaned him out, and then six months later sold him for fifteen to eighteen million. Um, but but good business for Wolves, you know. We've we've had a try before you buy situation. We've had him for the first half of the season. He fits into our setup incredibly well, perfectly suited to that wing back role. Not very much, you know, gets past him. Uh, I think he's a, a difficult player for even the best, you know, wide attackers in the league to to get by. He's a full Spanish international, and you don't get many of those for less than twenty million. Um, so yeah, a, a very good signing. I'm, I'm, you know, pleasantly surprised that we were able to do that deal. Um, and, and yeah, I, th- I think it, it bodes well for Wolves that, that they're able to attract a player of that calibre uh, to sign for us long term. And hopefully, you know, more signings of that ilk to come in the summer to build on what's already shaping up to be a very good squad. Yeah, but as for uh, the ultimate winner, I, I agree with both of you. It was the Premier League, as, as I just kind of illustrated with the, the teams I gave the highest grades to. Two of them were ones that didn't bother to bring in players. And I think that, again, as we were kind of speaking pre-show, guys, um, that it feels like the kind of sky transfer fetish thing has kind of been broken a little bit. And the clubs are now wising up and, and spending less money on flyers and and waiting to make sure that their squad isn't unsettled by bringing in new players. That the solution in the media always used to be you have to add players to improve. And I think, fortunately, uh, football, at least the Premier League, is starting to shift a little bit away from that. Next up, I want to talk to you guys about how your team set up against the big clubs. Because we've seen two crazy results from the same team recently in Bournemouth. They go and beat Chelsea 4-0 at home. Then they lose to Cardiff 2-0. And a, a reason why Bournemouth's... Uh, both goals, goal tallies and results are so crazy is because they basically always set up the same way. They're always going to come out and attack and play their style of football, but it will cost them points, but it also leads to some pretty big wins or surprising wins like the one against Chelsea. Uh, how do you? How does your club set up uh, when playing against the top teams in the Premier League? Yeah, well, I think Wolves have, have done very well this season. Um, you know, we, we've had results against more or less everyone. Um, they took a point off Man City. We lost Liverpool in the league, but knocked them out of the FA Cup, albeit a, a, a poor Liverpool side. Drew with Man United, drew with Arsenal, should have won that game, beat Spurs at Wembley. Yeah. So, you know, there, there, there's a formula. Um, uh, and I think Wolves are kind of, they managed to do both things somehow, weirdly. They managed to sit in and defend for a long, you know, long periods of the game and defend. But then when they have the ball, they use it very intelligently. Um, and they're not afraid of committing men forward in the attack because they're so organised. They're able to shift between defence and attack very quickly. Um, I think that's why they've they've earned quite a lot of plaudits and why we are seventh in the league. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very difficult. I think it ultimately comes down to the quality you've got. If you 
if you haven't got great quality in attacking areas, then you're a lot more likely to defend and then play those percentage balls forward and try and do things from set pieces, which is the traditional way uh, of, you know, a, a lesser team trying to get something off the, the better teams. But, you know, you mentioned Bournemouth and what Bournemouth have always had in their time in the Premier League, uh, from my perspective anyway, is good attacking players. So they are able to, you know, they, they only play that way. That's how Eddie Howe sets them up. You know, they, they want to use the ball. They want to get forward and get at teams. Um, so I just don't think they've ever really had the personnel to sit in and be compact and, and just weather large periods of, of pressure. So they kind of have to play that way. Um, but it but it is interesting because I think different teams have had success against the, the big six this season in, you know, all different kind of ways. Yeah, I think... I, I, I would personally say Wolves' approach to to the playing against the, the the bigger teams is probably perfect. As you say, the results that you've reeled off there are, 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 are fantastic results that maybe you weren't really expecting your club to have going into the season. Um, in terms of from a Southampton perspective, um, it's, it's a bit of a, diff, a difficult one really because we've had good results against big teams since Hasenhut was coming. We beat um, Arsenal. 3-2 in his first home match and we, we got a good point away to Chelsea at the turn of the year. Um, before that, when we had Mark Hughes in charge, we went to Man City and we played a... We, we didn't go with a five at the back, which we deployed earlier in the season and we, we did get uh, a good hide and we lost six six goals to one and that was probably uh, the sums up the Mark Hughes era at Southampton. Um, looking at other teams, I think from a perspective of a fan, I think I don't really mind how um, Saints play against the big teams if we get a result. It's the way we play against uh, teams of similar um, status to us who are in and around us in the table. I think if you look at Newcastle, the only people complaining about Newcastle's style of play when they play against Man City or Spurs are neutrals who want to see good games of football every single game they want to watch. If you ask mm. a Newcastle fan after their game against Man City on Wednesday, no Newcastle fan would be complaining about the way they played because at 90 minutes, they took three points off Man City in a, in a fantastic victory, 2-1. And for, for the, some parts in the game against Spurs, they were, they were quite unlucky. I know Tottenham hit the post, but, but so did Newcastle. And then the goal that Sons scored, the Bravka didn't really cover himself in too much glory. Yeah, straight through him. Although you'd say he's, he's been a, a great signing for them. So from, from my perspective, I just think it, these aren't the games where you expect points and where you're going to get your accumulation of points for the season. They're almost like extra games in the season that you can take extra points. So... The only people who really complain are the neutrals who want to watch good games every week. As you say, as I've already said about Newcastle, they got uh, three points in, in games against Man City and, and Spurs recently. And I think they would have, uh, they probably would have snatched a hand off for, for, for that return after those two games. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point because uh, Jake, who comes on and talks about Newcastle with us, and I actually had a, a, a little mild uh, post-match tiff because he was saying that our win wasn't deserved, and I was very curious as to what he meant and like laid out all the statistics about why Tottenham were better, and he was basically like, no, of course Tottenham were statistically better, just that they fought very hard, they set up well, and so he felt they deserved a point, and I do think that is sometimes the bias um, that I carry as a supporter of a top-four club, and then the media kind of has a bias towards as well because they want the big clubs that do well to sell the big packages and everything like that. So uh, I, I think it is very important to highlight that, you know, sometimes teams' goals in a match are 
not the same. And in that one, Tottenham intended to set up, or sorry, Newcastle set up to defend, and they did arguably as good a job as Tottenham did in attack until whatever it was, the 82nd or 83rd minute. Um, so very interesting to hear your thoughts on that. Um, we'll wrap up uh, news and notes by talking about Premier League managers, because ever since um, the Huddersfield situation with David Wagner stepping down, there haven't been any other uh, changes. And now that we're past the transfer window, it would seem more dangerous to get rid of who you have. Do, do you guys think we'll see any more managerial changes? The, the only time I can remember one much later than this was that year that Fulham had three managers. Yeah, I, I, to answer your question straightforward, I don't think we'll see anyone getting sacked. I, I looked down the table earlier and I can't really see anyone who, who may go, really. Um it's just one of those things. I mean, Wolves actually did it the last time we got relegated from the Premier League. We, for some reason, in our infinite wisdom, decided to wait until after the transfer window had shut to sack Mick McCarthy. And uh, we were relegated with a, a very meagre points tally. So it's never really a, a good move. Um, I suppose there were a few teams at the moment where there's a bit of discontent. You know, we beat Everton yesterday and, um, and a lot of their fans aren't happy with Marco Silva. But I'd still be surprised if they pulled the trigger there because, you know, that seems like a project for him and still relatively early. Um, Pellegrini at West Ham. West Ham having a bit of a difficult time. But again, I still think, you know, he's building building something there. Um, Huddersfield and uh, Fulham have already changed their manager. So, I, you know, can't see that happening in Cardiff. So there's, there's no obvious uh, people... I, I would see going before the end of the season. No, I, I tend to I tend to agree with you there. Uh, looking at you said, looking at the table, the only two managers that you could really throw a case for for being sacked would be Marco Silva and and Claude Puel. Um, I think, as you say, Marco Silva is at the a start of a project there, and and they've also sacked their past past three managers since David Moyes, I think. In in Roberto Martinez, mm. Ronald Koeman, and and Sam Allardyce. So that's You've also got to look at the financial side of that. It would be another payoff that, that they would have to do. As you look at my club, Southampton, I think we paid Mark Hughes off something in, in the region of about £5 million. Um, and if you look at, we also sat Puel and we also sat Pellegrino. So we're in the sort of same situation where the payoffs for these managers are, are so large. It also hinders your sort of spending in other areas. Um, looking at the, the bottom of the table where changes usually happen, Huddersfield have already changed their manager. Fulham have changed their manager. Cardiff aren't going to get rid of Neil Warnock. Burnley won't get rid of Sean Dyche. Saints have already changed their manager. And Newcastle won't get rid of Rafa Benitez. So looking at the bottom of the table, the changes have already been made. And those who haven't changed the manager, their managers have, have previously done fantastic jobs and are, are also still doing a good job. So I can't see any changes there. And as you say, the only the only manager that re- could really lose his job, I think, would be Claude Puel. But they got a good result against Liverpool. I know they lost today against uh, Manchester United at home, but that's not the the worst result in the world. So, as you say, I think and and uh, Claude Puel, I think they'll be given given to the end of the season at least to uh, to try and turn things around and, and give himself a stake a claim for for his job for next season. Um, as as results are starting to pick up a little bit, and of course they're on the back of a, of that tragedy earlier this season. Yeah, the the Puel situation is very strange, and uh, some other time it'd be very interesting to get your thoughts on why 
uh, Lester seemingly want him gone as much as you did, despite finishing well with both. Um, but I do agree. He, he's probably the one on the hottest seat, but I don't think it would be wise for them to, to shift now. I mean, they're in 11th right now. What, what do you have to gain by getting rid of him um, other than potentially bringing your season in danger? And I think really the, the best part about this conversation is that it means we're probably going to make it out of the season without a panic hire of Big Sam or Pulis or Pardew or Mark Hughes again, who, you know, not to be too mean, but you picked up at, because he was basically yeah. take, driving Stoke into relegation was the only reason he was available. So um, I think it's good that, that the Premier League is starting to not only get better about transfers like we mentioned in the Open, but also starting to look for more progressive uh, solutions and management rather than kind of just going back to that same old well uh, of kind of relegation surviving managers and, and instead looking a little bit further forward. All right, now we will take a quick break and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. All right, and we are back. Thomas will lead in with you talking about Wolverhampton. Uh, Ruben Neves has been incredible for you this season. He scores a goal at the weekend, but then comes off injured. Just wanted to start by asking just how serious that is. Uh, difficult to know this early. I think it looked like he, he was holding his calf, so I don't know whether that's a calf strain, a kick on the calf. I think he went, I think he was injured in the first half, and it's one of those where he tried to run it off. So I'm hoping it's just a kick. And um, he, he's back before too long, but I, you know, I don't know yet. Um, all I'd say is that if he, I don't think he's as instrumental as a lot of outside, uh, you know, outside supporters may actually think. Because I think you know we've got Jamatinho, we've got Leander Dendonk, and we've got Romain Sace, and we've also got Morgan Gibbs White, who, who you know has shown this season he's got some amazing potential so we, we've got good players in that area of the pitch so if he is out for a week or two um you know I think we can cope very interesting yeah because a, a lot of neutrals do kind of imagine that Neves is the one that drives it although Moutinho has been rounding into some pretty fantastic form of late uh, another player that's become very very important for you well arguably always has been Israel Jimenez I saw coming into the window uh, again, people outside the club, which is probably uh, not the best source to go to, thinking that Wolves needed to sign a more reliable striker. But Jimenez does so much more than just score goals, but he's also scoring goals uh, for in the last 10. Uh, just how uh, important is he to your side? Oh, incredibly important. Incredibly important. He's a wonderful player. Um, I go on to like, opposition forums before we play teams, and they always say, oh, I don't think Jimenez is that good. Uh, you know, 
you know, they've got Jimenez up front. I don't know if he's going to be much of a threat. I mean, I, they haven't watched the games. It's as simple as that because he, yeah. he, he's as you as you mentioned, he's scoring, he assists. I think he's got in all competitions now. He's got uh, ten or eleven goals, five or six assists, and you know that's to me that's phenomenal. Uh, start of the season, he was playing up on his own um, with you know two wide plays either side of him. Now it's more of a conventional front two with Jota alongside him, and those two have struck up a real partnership now um, and I think that's taken Wolves up a level which you've seen you know we've we've reeled off a couple of impressive wins now beat Leicester in that 4-3 beat West Ham 3-0 and beat Everton yesterday you know with a with a bit to spare um, but yeah Jimenez fantastic season up there as a possible contender for player of the season I think we've got to pay Benfica 30 million for him in the summer if we want to make that transfer permanent and I will be absolutely devastated if Wolves don't take up that option. I can't believe um, that you know that they won't do that. Uh, I need to do more research into it because I don't know if we've actually got first dibs. I'm assuming we've got first option to buy in because I've got to believe there'll be other Premier League clubs looking at what he's done for Wolves and thinking, could we gate crash that deal? But uh, you know, I just really, really hope that he's a Wolves player next season. Yeah, he's a fantastically well-rounded player and a really fun one to watch. So if people aren't watching him, they probably should start. Uh, Just for those wondering uh, the numbers, which you mentioned, he is both scoring goals and assists. A player that has just as many goals and assists is Hyungmin Sun. And he has more than Mitrovic, Sigurdsson, Mane, Firmino, Eriksson, etc. Like that's that's the kind of returns that he's providing. So when people say that you need to upgrade the striker position, I often know that I don't need to worry about that person's opinion too much longer. Um, it has obviously been a dream first season up in the Premier League. Is it matching or surpassing what your expectations were coming into the year? Oh yeah, it's definitely surpassing expectations. I mean, I think there were fans at the start of the season who saw the, the players we brought in over the summer and saw what we did last year and believed we would be very competitive. Some of them were even saying, yeah, top eight is, is achievable. I was always more reserved than that. I was always felt, you know, it'd be great, lovely to to stay up comfortably, which isn't something we've really done in the Premier League era. We've always, when we have stayed up, it hasn't been with much to spare. So I would have been content with, you know, mid-table, just above that that clutch of of the relegation contenders. So, to be up in seventh place and you know with a bit of a buffer now after that that win yesterday it's it's fantastic so it's it's massively surpassed my expectations well certainly uh, congratulations thus far and, and hopefully you can land a top 10 finish there by the end of the year uh coming to you now sam to talk about southampton uh, i mentioned the the transfer show that will come out on this channel later this week uh in it me and uh dave hendrick who was the other person on the show uh gave southampton a d uh, for your transfer window, uh, do you feel that's harsh, or, or is that just about how you viewed that window? That's that's probably about right. I, I'd say we offloaded uh, a few players who were high earners, were were failed transfers in in some respects, and that that Hasenhutel had assessed and and realised that he uh, wasn't going to use them in his system, and he and he saw a. Um, uh, the reason to to let them go, but the big problem with that is that they're only loan deals. We've owned and and none of them have obligations to buy. So the only re, the only way that they'll be staying with their 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 loan clubs would be if they perform exceptionally well from now until the end of the season, which 
I hope they do, and and that means we can get some some money in from from them. But uh, Wesley Hoyt was sent off in his debut for for Celta Vigo, and Cedric, I believe, was at, uh, could have been at fault for a goal uh, against Inter Milan across the weekend. So we're not too sure about how they're getting on, but we we were able to shift some dead wood. I mean, Stephen Davis, who was a fantastic servant for the club. Uh, score some great goals and some vital goals for us when staying up under Adkins and Pochettino and and when achieving European football under under Ronald Koeman. But again, it was time for him to be moved on. Uh, Gabby Adini again, another player who had started brightly for Saints, but couldn't quite re- refine that form after after a few questionable managerial appointments following following Claude Puel, who who seemingly got the best out of Gabby Adini. So and then the the fact that we didn't bring anyone else in. Um, question marks were being asked, but as we said before the show, it's not. Had this been had this been the transfer window under Mark Hughes, then then alarm bells would have been ringing that we didn't bring anyone else in. But the fact that we now have a manager as good as Hasen Hughes who at the helm shows that yes, we were a bit underwhelmed with the transfer window. We would have liked to have seen a couple of players come in just to to, to rock the boat. And and obviously, when you see players leave the club, you almost half expect players to come in. And when they didn't, that's why we're a little bit underwhelmed. But Hasen Hughes has been getting the best out of uh, players so far. We've seen Nathan Redmond. Uh, progress, uh, James Will Prowse progress, and and he's bringing youth players in. Something that that, that lost its way under under Cumin, um, under Puel, under Pellegrino, and under Hughes. That sort of bringing in youth, giving them a chance that Saints have been so renowned for, had almost gone. But now with Hasn't it, we're seeing players come in. Jan Valerie's well forced Cedric to go to go to Inter Milan because how well he played and how impressed Hasn't it was been with him. We saw Callum Slattery make his first team uh not debut, his first team start for us yesterday against Burnley. So yeah, as you say, a, a D was probably about right if you're growing net because we didn't see any players come in, but it's not um too drastic because of because of Hasn't yeah, also um, under Haas and Hoodle, you've tended to shift to this back three. You already mentioned a couple of names there, but who who would you say that this new formation has most benefited? I, I'd definitely say uh, James Will Prowse and, and Nathan Redmond, especially especially Nathan Redmond. He's, he's been almost given a free role. As you say, we play a sort of 5-3, 5-3-2 with the wing backs almost playing as as right and left wingers to, to form a, a 3-4-3. Um, um, but Nathan Redmond's been given a free role to to be up front, to provide width, to to get the ball from from deep and drive at defences. And he's he's definitely stepped up and is flourishing under Hasnew. He scored six goals in in ten appearances in all competitions since since the Austrian came in. And uh, and and yeah, if I pick another player, I'd, I'd probably say Jan Valery as well, as I, as I alluded to earlier. He sort of forced Cedric out of the side, and now Cedric's gone to to Inter Milan. And it's it's always great to see a, a young player come in and do so well, um, because there was there was noises from the academy from the past sort of year and a half that Jan Valery could could be a player who comes into the first team, but we weren't really expecting him to do it so quickly. And and yeah, it's been it's been great to see uh, another young player come from our academy and do so well. Yeah, and then uh, last up, I was curious about. Um... Oh man, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, what what was the first thing you said? Because I was going to ask a follow up, but I had already planned that. About Nathan thing. Redmond? Um, uh, no, ah, dang it! This is why you write stuff down. 
Uh, I don't know. What would you say is a relevant question to ask? Sorry. Relevant question. Probably maybe something um, about how maybe how we look different under Hasn't Hitler to Hughes. I don't know. Maybe. That's right. Have we, have, did we, <laughs> yeah, did we sort of do that? I'm trying to think what would be a, a good question because obviously we're getting on to the, the player of the month. Oh, I was going to ask um, about the match. That's what it was. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, and then I just wanted to wrap by actually talking about the match yesterday. It seemed like you were going to all but secure the win, then a very late penalty with the whole crouch situation, which must have been very frustrating for him uh, mm. to, to win that on his first day yeah. back. I was just curious, uh, your breakdown of that match, and were you pleased how you played, but just disappointed by the result, or did you feel you needed to be better on the day? I think the second half performance was very good. Burnley could argue edge the first half they were stronger I mean you know what type of game you're getting when you go to Burnley and that's not a criticism of Burnley that's what's made them uh, such a hard team to beat especially at Turf Moor they've yeah so the first half I mean we had a couple of good chances Danny Ings probably should have scored before before going off injured and we got we were very lucky in the fact that Ashley Barnes was um, most certainly brought down um, by Alex McCarthy and, and the referee and the linesman for some reason thought he dived which from I'm sure people who have seen it um, would say the Saints were very lucky and we were on the receiving end of a of a good decision the second half we came we came out and we looked like a completely different outfit um, as I said Nathan Redmond really took the game by the scruff of the neck and and did what Hasenhut wants from him and that's from getting balls from deep driving at players and being a being a real nuisance for for back fours and his goal was a perfect example of that and it's a, it's another goal that we see of what Hasenhutl wants from these teams. A few weeks ago, we saw it from, from James Will Prowse, getting the ball, winning the ball back, driving at defences and, and taking shots on. And, and Redmond did that perfectly yesterday. Uh, as they say, he, he drove towards the back four. Uh, a cheeky little nutmeg on a former Saints player, Jack Cork, and, and it was a fantastic finish. Um, it's obviously disappointing to, to draw a game at any point when when you, you've been winning, especially in the 90th minute in, in added time. But... On the basis of things in the first half and obviously Burnley not getting the decision at the end of it and and the fact that it was a blatant handball. I know there's been a, a few uh, Saints fans questioning because there's been a, a picture that's been the surface of Crouch having a... Looks like he's got a tug off Stephen's shirt. From my point of view, that's that's clutching at straws. It's a definite handball. There's no reason why Stephen should be jumping in the air with his arm like that. And yeah, looking at it, a day on, looking at the result, it's, it's probably a fair a fair result that we both take a point from the game. Interesting stuff for sure. It does seem uh, better days ahead, and, and that penalty was very much a penalty. But mm. we've basically made a decision on the show to just not really talk about penalty shouts anymore. <laughs> uh, don't put your, your don't put yourself in a situation where a penalty can be called by the referee. And VAR will be here soon anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of on those points. Yeah, we get a bit lucky that VR's not weren't using that much because that was that was a, a certain penalty. That's just a stonewall. Yeah, I, I actually think that they got multiple things wrong because uh, you really can't treat a referee and a linesman the way a Barnes did either. So if you're committed no, with your yeah. choice, then that's a red card. But then that's yeah, just think, more I wrong. Think, yeah, I think I mean the, the game against Crystal Palace, Wilfred Zaha was booked for the incident with James Prowse continued to um, you know, shout at the referee. You know, and, and do the applauding. But I yeah, genuinely wasn't sure justice. Ashley Barnes wasn't going to attack that linesman. No, it's when, when, when you know, watching it and, and seeing, obviously, by you know, being judged to have dived, you're almost being 
accused of cheating, which obviously is something that Ashley Barnes would not want to be accused of or any professional for that matter. But that reaction was just a little bit too close to the edge where I thought he was very close to getting a second yellow there. He was a little bit fortunate. Yeah, very lucky boy indeed, but they do end up picking up the point, which uh, <laughs> sounds like you're saying was, was fair for both sides. Yeah, it probably sounds about fair. Yeah, right. Uh, do either of you have any questions about Tottenham? I, I would, I'd like to ask just a, just a quick one about the, obviously the situation. I know you've probably been asked this a million times about the whole Poch thing and about Manchester United, but honestly, do you think of the, the transfer window has been, and obviously we talked about that we don't need to you know, the panic and but do you honestly think that Spurs' transfer policy at the moment would be the main thing that would send Poch to Manchester United? Uh, very interesting question. I do not, because we've slowly come to learn that Poch is one of the people that's refusing moves, that when Tottenham are approached with potential players, he's the one that's saying that they might not uh, okay. fit or that he wouldn't fit them into the side. Oh, don't get me wrong. There's also blame on Levy. Uh, who isn't willing to spend on some targets that Poch probably would want to bring in. So they're kind of both the problem. Um, I think, okay, the possibility of Pochettino going to United is for all of the reasons that have been put forth by the media, that they have more money to spend, uh, his love of Sir Alex and everything like that. But something that I, I actually said on a recent appearance I made was, if Pochettino is such a devotee of... Sir Alex, what would be closer to respecting that lineage? Would it be going to Manchester United to just be the next one? Or would it be turning Tottenham into what Sir Alex turned United into? I personally think it would be the latter. Everything he's ever said has implied that he would stay, that he's not interested in leaving. But of course, you wouldn't just say that you were leaving on the other side. Um, So thus far, the column of reasons he would leave are all reasonable. The money, the fame, all that stuff. Uh, finally winning trophies, which is obviously is, is the stone that's most often hung around his neck. Um, but uh, on the other column is everything he's ever said. And in my opinion, the, the, the trying to live up to the Sir Alex stereotype is something he can do more at Tottenham than United. Just, yes, Sir Alex was at United. That is not shocking news to anyone. Yes, he could go there to fulfill that. But I think if he was really trying to honor that legacy, he would do it for himself. But admittedly, uh, biased, but on the whole, no, I don't think the transfer policy would be why he would leave. If I if I had to pick a reason why he might leave, it would be uh-huh. if we lost Erickson and Alderweireld in the summer, because uh-huh. he's shown a priority of keeping the players we have over bringing in new ones. So if we aren't bringing in new players and we start to lose our better players, I think that that could really be kind of the crux there. Yeah. So what what do you think constitutes success for Tottenham now? Is it is is now you're out of the domestic cups. Is it basically finishing third and, you know, giving a decent account of yourself in the Champions League? Yeah, I, I think if if top four, I'm still very confident in. I also said recently that we're not in the title race, but we're winning the heck out of the top four race. Um, <laughs> which, which is don't, don't, you it's, don't you think it's funny though, Kev? That you know, if you if you turn around one fixture when you played Liverpool at Wembley, and I know Liverpool beat you with a degree of comfort, you, mm-hmm. you had a late comeback at at, uh, at Wembley. But if you'd won that game, you would be top of the table now. Don't you think that that's like crazy <laughs> that you're not considered as even uh, you know a footnote in the title race when actually you're basically one result uh, from being top of the table? Yeah, uh, and just if City lose today, we're ahead of them in second. 
Yeah, it is kind of crazy. I, I just think we always have some issue that prevents us from being up there. And I'm not going to bring up the whole net spend thing. I think that's one of the duller arguments I ever hear. Um, but yeah, no, it is crazy that, that we're that close. But I think we're that close because we've been on really good form. I mean, listen, we, we just won three consecutive games without Harry Kane and Deli Ali. Right? Yeah. That, that, that is very fortunate. And uh, as someone that believes that all things kind of regress to the mean, that means we're going to lose a few games with them that we shouldn't. That's just kind of how I view it. We could just get lucky the rest of the season. I mean, Leicester's latter third of the season, they won the title, was incredibly lucky. Obviously, they put in the effort. They had the players. Vardy was on hot form. But things just kind of tended to bounce their way. And thus far, things have tended to bounce Liverpool's way, quite literally, if you're referring to the Pickford incident in that Everton match. Uh Um, But... uh, yeah, I just I just don't see us uh, up there. But that is an interesting point that that we are that close. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really hadn't thought about if we had unturned them there, and and then obviously we'll be playing them soon enough, as well as Arsenal and Chelsea here, uh, late February, yeah. early March. But yeah, I, I think top three, and if we could get past Dortmund, that would be incredible. But still, no Kane and Ali for that first leg. Um, if we're down by more than two goals, even if we got Kane back for the second one, I think that that hole will have been dug too far. Um, but it is it is a huge shame that we went out of both domestic cups uh, because of the absences of, of some key players. That having been said, the players that were on the pitch against Chelsea did incredibly well to take it to penalties, did incredibly not well in the penalties, um, but was pleased that they were at least able to get there. Um, I've been very critical of Lorente, and I still will be because I think his level of play is well below us. But he still manages to pop up with a goal every now and again. And I, I don't know what else you want from your backup striker other than to, to score and kind of keep you in matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously had the assists um, both against Watford and then against Newcastle at the weekend. So, yeah, we, we've been derailed a little bit. But as you say, we are still pretty close. Um, if Kane comes back fully firing and, and Liverpool and City each lose a match, then then maybe I'd be willing to start entertaining that, that conversation. But for now, I'll, I'll stick with my very quotable quote of not in the title race, winning the top four race. Can I ask you just quick, just another quick one? Yeah. Um, just after the you just said the Chelsea game there, I just wanted to, you might you might, you might have already said it um, in previous in previous pods, but what was your sort of thoughts to, to Pochettino's comments about not, you know, not having to win trophies to progress to the next level and trophies only build egos? Because obviously there, we know that trophies don't mean everything in football. Um, but what is your sort of thoughts on Poch saying that? And there's that stigma around Spurs. Obviously, he haven't won a trophy since was it the 08 League Cup. So what's your sort of thoughts on that situation with the, the comments? And then obviously Spurs Spurs having, you know, being knocked out of a semifinal sort of once again. again yeah. Um, well, the first thing that came to mind was you'd never catch a manager that's won stuff say that. So I, I thought it really highlighted that he hasn't. Um, he, ha- he has later gone on to clarify that we're obviously chasing the Cups. Um, we've been in, I, what did he, it ended up being four in the last five semifinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, four in the last five seasons, uh, yeah. that is. Um, multiple exits to Chelsea, including, uh, I guess that would have, what was, I don't think it was called the Carabao Cup back then. The Carling or League Cup or whatever it was called that year. Was it the Capital One? I think that. Yeah, it may have been. Two-year spell. <laughs> yeah, that, that we uh, went out to Chelsea in the final. Um, I do think that to an extent, you just have to win one before you start winning them. 
even though that that kind of begins a chicken or egg situation where how can you be winners until you've won, but how can you won without any winners? I think that was one of the reasons why it was so important um, when it got to the semifinals of the World Cup that basically, unless Croatia won, we were guaranteed that somebody in this Tottenham team would win something, whether it be Belgium or England or France. Um, Then obviously our captain Hugo comes back with a World Cup trophy and then puts up one of his worst seasons at the club, which isn't necessarily what one would have hoped for. Um, but he, he has gone back and, and, of course, said that we are, of course, chasing the Cups, um, that he didn't mean to, to – that it was, a, it was a difference in language, I think, is what he really highlighted, that okay. ego in South America is, is more – has less of a neg- negative connotation than it does um, in English as a language and England as a place. Um, but it, it's still – you have to know better than to say that. I think is really where I landed on that. And again, I think the main takeaway from that is that it highlights that you haven't won anything instead of maybe turning the narrative towards what you're doing to try to win one. But uh, yeah, that's enough of me talking about Tottenham. So now we'll move uh, into Player Watch, where I want to talk to you guys about uh, who you think was your club's best player in the month of January. We'll start off with you, Thomas. Yeah, uh, I probably... Shortlist three, uh, Jimenez, who we've talked about, uh, Jean Martinho, who's had probably his best period for the club. He's been pretty good all season, but he's, he's weighing in with the assists and uh, generally having a bigger say in matches lately. Uh, but the player I, I would give it to is Diogo Jota, uh, who's just come to life, basically. He, he had a really difficult start to the season. It's come out recently that he was carrying an injury, he had to go and get that taken care of. He was out for a period, but then he came back in December, started playing really well. Unfortunately, got injured again, but then he's come back in January and been a real driving force. And, you know, we, we've won these three games recently because he's he's been brilliant. You know, he got a hat-trick against Leicester and he was also instrumental in the, you know, the, the wins against uh, West Ham and um, Everton yesterday. So um, I, would, I would have to give it to him. When he's fit and firing, we are a really a much different beast because we, we can score goals and we can hurt teams. Whereas, you know, the first parts of the season, when we just had Jimenez up front, we were kind of defending and staying compact and then looking to, you know, hopefully almost try out of, you know, blind luck at times to create chances. But we're, we're creating more now and we look a more dangerous team. Um, so I think Jota and, and his emergence uh, are the reason we're doing so well. So I have to give it to him. Yeah. And then uh, for you at Southampton, Sam? For me, without a doubt, it would be uh, James Ward-Prowse. He came into the side um, when Hoiberg uh, was was suspended for, for four matches after, for, after seeing Red again against Manchester City. And the... The thing with James Ward-Prowse is I've always been a, a, an admirer. I've always thought he's been a good player. I had the privilege of speaking and interviewing him uh, not too long ago. And he's always just been a great character to have around the club. Um, and I've always said he needs a run of games for us to really see the best of him and what people sort of expect from him. Um, under uh, uh, Puel, it didn't really happen. Under Pellegrino, he was given a bit of a run in the team but nothing too substantial. And then under Hughes, he was almost frozen out. He was very, there was rumours that he was, if Hughes was to stay, he was going to be moving on. Um, and then Hasenhut was come in and given him the chance, 
albeit because of a, a suspension, but he's then taken that chance so well. And he scored, I think he scored three goals in the past four games. He's been influential on the ball. He's always, he's looking like he wants the ball. And I think that's the in, indication of confidence in players when they're always actively looking for the ball. They're not hiding away from, from trying to be influential in the game. And he stepped up and scored a, a really crucial goal against Crystal Palace in the week. And and then he had the, the nerve to, to to hold his nerve and, and score a penalty against Leicester in a, in a crucial match as well. Mm-hmm. And his form has also been rewarded. I think he's been uh, he's been nominated for the Premier League Player of the Month. So he's one of those players alongside Nathan Redmond to really step up and answer his tricks. Because him, alongside Nathan Redmond, Redmond's been getting got a lot of stick um, last season. But James has sort of had a, a, a lot of questions, not a lot of uh, criticism, but people were sort of questioning whether he could fulfil the potential that, that people had thought he could have. And and I think he's starting to realise that now under under a good manager. I think sometimes with players like James Will Prowse and like the youngsters, it's also about the managerial appointments who also can progress them to the next level. And I just don't think up until now he had that. And and we're starting to see it. Yeah, um, for Tottenham, uh, if you looked at January on the whole, it would hard to look anywhere other than uh, Hyungman Sun who has just been uh, fantastic. Obviously, he misses about three matches, I guess it was, total, um, while out on duty for uh, South Korea in the Asian Cup. Um, But uh, that match aside, uh, has three goals and an assist in this month already. Um, Missing that many matches. Obviously, two of them were the cup competitions that we went out of. Uh, If you want somebody that's actually been here the whole time, which would be a fair request, it would probably have to be Harry Winks, who... You know, with with Dembele's injury, Dyer's injury, uh, Wanyama's injury, we've had to rely on a midfield of Musa Sissoko, who we bought as a right winger, and Harry Winks, who was an academy kid just two years ago. Um, And Sissoko also picked up an injury during that stretch. Uh, And so the fact that Winks was able to come into the side and largely keep up the level of the club, including winning that crucial winner uh, against Fulham, uh, is really huge. We've seen him put on really good performances against the likes of Barcelona and, and Madrid already in the Champions League. Um, and I, I just think he's surpassed every expectation that those in the academy would have had for him. Uh, and it's really awesome to have another uh, academy kid coming through and really establishing himself in the first team, so much so that we decided to not go out and buy a central midfielder in the window. I still think that was dumb and that we should do that. <laughs> but the fact that we have that gap and that it is currently being filled uh, by Harry Winks is incredible in and of itself. And then the fact that his performance levels uh, have been so high during that stretch uh, really speak to both his ability and his mentality. Although I will throw shade that is wholly unwarranted because that isn't what the segment is about at Christian Eriksen, who is often deemed as one of the best creators in the Premier League, one of the best players in the Premier League, and we really needed him to step up in the absence of Kane and Ali and Son, and he sure did not. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how, how he performs going forward, because I've long had this theory that he performs well when we're performing well, and that he's not one of the causes. And uh, if his form starts to pick up as soon as um, Kane and Delhi get back, I think it'll be kind of another notch in the column of that argument. All right, and we will wrap up here with match previews. We'll start off with you, Sam. Southampton will face Cardiff at the St. Mary's. I'm assuming you're looking at this and thinking you need to win. Yeah, it's a six-pointer. There's there's no there's no doubt about that. 
both teams um, are coming into the game with with a bit of an upturn in turn in form. But as you say, it's a it's a must win game. There's no two ways about it. Cardiff have got have got a fantastic result against Bournemouth this weekend. Um, after Bournemouth were coming off the back of a fantastic victory against Chelsea, so it shows that they have real quality, um, and they have real quality in the way they play under Warnock. And we know how difficult the game's going to be, but as you say, uh, it's it's a must-win game. We could find ourselves if 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 the results go against us, if we if we lose against Car- uh, Cardiff and and Burnley get get something. Then, then we could find ourselves back in the bottom three. Or on the flip side, if the best thing comes of it, we could be five points clear of Cardiff. And and hopefully if Burnley don't pick up the points, we could be three points clear of them. So it is a really, really important game for, for the outcome of our season and for the way the second half of the season is going to go. Um, we lost them away in December in Hasenhutl's first game. Obviously, two months on from that, Arsenal Hooper's been here for two for two months, so hopefully we'll we'll see a more positive result. Yeah, and then next up chronologically, uh, Tottenham will be hosting Leicester. Um, still no Kane, still no Delhi, but Sun is back and uh, not actually leading the line, which is what we expected. It was Lucas, and then obviously Lorente coming on to help uh, seal that win. Uh, we should probably start to see some uh, wing back rotation again. Uh, I would because Jan Vertonghen played left back last match. I wouldn't expect that to be the case here. I would guess it'll be Rose and Aurier, or potentially Kyle Walker Peters, who I rate really highly, but just doesn't seem to start the matches when it's his turn in rotation, um, which is an interesting development uh, under Pochettino. Um, Lamella has not really lived up. Uh, to expectations in the absence of the big players either. I think what we're really learning is that while we have a lot of depth, it's always easy to add one or two of those depth pieces into our best 11, but as soon as it gets to be three or four, uh, there's a significant drop-off. So I I wouldn't think that he'll push for a spot ahead of Lucas or Son unless Son does play up front, in which case we just need another person out wide. Uh, Erickson winks. I'm thinking maybe Wanyama or Dyer just, just to give Sissoko a spell, or it could be... Um, Winks himself that's given a spell, but uh, because he plays a much less physical game than Sissoko, I I think that's one of the reasons he's been able to kind of withstand this huge fixture congestion. Um, And we do very much need his uh, passing from central midfield. Uh, But yeah, it'll be an interesting one. Lesser are a very up-and-down club we mentioned earlier. You know, they can go out and beat City and Chelsea, or or they can lose to anyone in the league. Hopefully it's the latter uh, this time, and that they don't really have their tails up and... uh, Maybe we'll encourage an early Puel sacking, but uh, I do expect it'll be a tough match. Um, Vardy tends to give our centre-backs trouble um, just because of his pace. Uh, Davinson probably the best one to deal with that, um, but I'm not sure if we'll continue to go back three, which we we have been doing, to be fair, a a lot of late, but uh, we will need to to make sure we take care of him if we are to uh, win on the weekend. All right, wrapping up with you now, Thomas, you're going to be hosting Newcastle. It'll probably be the debut of Almiron. We're not quite sure if Nevis will be back, but as you said, there are plenty of options that can step up if needed. Yeah, yeah, it'd be an interesting game. Um, you know, they need the points a lot more than we do. Um, we played them a few months ago um, in quite a contentious game at uh, St. James's Park where they had a man sent off, and we got a, a last kick winner uh, through Matt Doherty. Um, so uh, yeah, I think they'll, they'll be. There might be a bit of needle in the game as a result of that. Um, I, I think Benitez will come and, and 
defend and, and be compact and make it difficult for us rather than coming out on the front foot. And we generally struggled in those types of games this season. Um, so it could be a lot more difficult than the table might suggest. Um, you know, we've got Newcastle, Bournemouth, Huddersfield and Cardiff in the next four, which you'd, you'd say are four very winnable games. And considering we're already on 38 points, it's a real opportunity to, to cement that top that top half position uh, and, you know, even pull away maybe from the teams who are 8th, ninth, and 10th. But, um, you know, it will, it will be come down to how Wolves play, whether they can maintain the consistency of performance they've shown over the last three games. And, and yeah, interesting, perhaps more so for, for what Newcastle might do. Um, you know, business that their fans might not have anticipated they, they would do. They've done, they've broken their transfer record. Um, they brought another lad in from Monaco, I believe. Um, so they've got they've got some players to introduce and but for that late winner for Tottenham, that would have been a you know, would have been a real continuation. I still think there's a bit of a feel good factor now at Newcastle, which there hasn't been for a while. Um, so I imagine they're gonna come into that game uh, with with confidence and and you know, adamant about getting a good result. So I'd probably tip us to narrowly win it because, you know, we, we're playing so well at the moment. It doesn't really matter who we're playing other than the big six at home. I would fancy us. So um, so I'd probably say a, a narrow 2-1 to Wolves. All right. Well, best of luck to all of our clubs uh, when Match Week 25 comes around. Uh, in the interim, if you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, you can uh, you can just find me um, at wallsblog.com and on Twitter at wallsblog. Uh, yeah, we're on Facebook as well, facebook.com forward slash wallsblog. We're everywhere, wallsblog, basically. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Sam E. Cox and, of course, uh, at Fresh Saints on Twitter and freshsaints.com for, for blogs and, and just all, all things Southampton. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. Uh, I cover the fantasy side of the Premier League for both ESPN and Goal, so if you're interested in those things, be sure to go check those out. Uh, as I referenced at the top of the show, we did our uh, biannual transfer review um, with Dave Hendrick. That'll go up in two parts throughout the week, so just keep an eye out for that. Uh, also, we have a championship show that you can catch on this very channel uh, that is fantastic as well, so uh, be sure to lend that your ear. Thanks to you two so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.